you heard a couple of Pacific waves from RNZ Pacific Nikoroi Hawkins. Coming up. Je voudrais tout d'abord saluer l'élection ou la réélection. Pro independence groups in New Caledonia, wary of the re elected French President Macron. It would no longer just be, well, the Pacific is, is over there, it would be that the Pacific is here. An Australian economist says allowing more Pacific immigration would strengthen Canberra's regional standing. Some of them are biting people, some are just rushing at other people. And concerns in the Cook Islands over police rounding up and shooting stray dogs. Pro-independence Canuck parties in New Caledonia say the re-elected French President Emmanuel Macron has his work cut out to regain their trust. Macron has enjoyed a groundswell of support from the French Pacific Territories, despite a lower-than-usual turnout in some areas. In New Caledonia, Macron won with 61% of the votes cast, beating far-right political candidate Marine Le Pen, who scored 39%. Jan Kohut reports. Across New Caledonia's provinces, Macron took 75% of the votes in the Loyalty Islands, 61% in the South and 64% in the North. Voter turnout was varied a lot with the South recording the highest at 44%. In contrast, the North only recorded 15% and the Loyalty Islands a mere 5%. The president of Union Caledonienne, Roche-Wamitan said in an interview with La Première that the president needs to show pro-independent supporters that they can trust him, especially after the controversy surrounding last year's independence referendum which Canucks boycotted. I would firstly want to salute the re-election of Emmanuel Macron. He will be our main spokesman for the next five years to come. The position of the pro-independence Caledonians is that we can't trust him anymore. Not only do we feel betrayed, but also angry due to what was said in 2019 and what happened during the lockdown. This is now the position that is held by the pro-independence voters. It is now time for the re-elected president to show that he is searching for a solution for the situation in New Caledonia. The low turnout in the North and the Loyalty Islands is likely to be a result of many pro-independence supporters in those electorates. The president of the government of New Caledonia, Louis Mapu, told La Première Macron's re-election marks a new era for the territory. It is a new era. We have waited for this election to happen so we could plan the next steps together. His re-election means that we have a spokesperson that knows New Caledonia, that has engaged with us in the past, that knows our documents and that knows us. In another smaller French Pacific territory, Wallace and Futuna, President Macron also enjoyed a lot of support polling 67% over Le Pen, who got 32. However, again, in the first round, 43% of eligible voters abstained from voting and this dropped even lower to 38% during the second round. Wallace and Futuna Assembly President Munipuese Muriakaka said he was pleased with the results of the election but noted the low rate of participation. Concerning the votes in the election, the amount of our electors that did not mobilise to go and vote has been quite strong. This has made us quite disappointed. 
The strong climb of Marine Le Pen, which has gained 30% of the votes over the territory, shows that some people support a plan that is not going to be enacted by our elected assembly. I am worried about the steady climb of the Front National in Wallace and Futuna. In French Polynesia, the contest between Marine Le Pen and President Macron was a lot closer. Emmanuel Macron won with 51% of the territory's total votes. That is 31 out of 48 districts. Marine Le Pen's score was only 3,000 votes less than Mr Macron, securing 48% with 17 districts. While discussions on Australian aid to the Pacific are front and centre in that country's election campaign, an economist says the way to improve relations is to allow more Pacific immigration. The Australian National University development economist Stephen House says for Australia to better connect with the Pacific, it needs to allow the Pacific diaspora into Australia to grow. He told Don Wiseman that providing long-term work opportunities and the chance to settle permanently would work wonders in developing the relationship. Especially uh, get away from this focus on aid. You know, I think we do have this tendency still to look at the Pacific through an aid prism. And, and if you look at the Pacific step up, definitely the share of aid going to the Pacific has really increased. You know, it used to be about one quarter uh, about a decade ago, and now almost half of our aid goes to the Pacific. But, you know, the Pacific's already the most aid-dependent region in the world. I don't think more aid is going to transform the Pacific or really improve our relations with the Pacific uh, or really help us in competition with China because China can also offer a lot of aid. So, yeah, I think we need to think differently and we need to focus on, on labor mobility and that, that promotes people-to-people links. It uh, provides benefits direct to Pacific households. And it's also, you know, an aid is costly, whereas uh, labor mobility is uh, beneficial for Australia as well as for the Pacific. And so it's a much more, it's a relationship of equal. It's mutual yeah. benefit rather than one side helping the other. Australia and New Zealand, for that matter, would say, well, there are these quite elaborate labor schemes already in place. So yeah, that's right. So we have made progress on labor mobility. It's not like we've just been sitting on on our hands, and and we've um, got these various schemes that are now called, in Australia's case, it's called PALM, Pacific Australia Labor Mobility Scheme. And yeah, we now have um, some twenty thousand workers in Australia, mainly on farms, but also in in abattoirs and other in other regional jobs. Uh, but they're all temporary schemes. The workers either come for a few months or uh, at most uh, they'll come for four years under the Pacific Labor Scheme, which is well and good. You know, th- those are good schemes, but they don't do anything to increase the Pacific diaspora in, in Australia. And I think if we're talking about the Pacific family and Australia becoming a more integral part of the Pacific, you know, that's what we really need to, to focus on. The Pacific diaspora in Australia is tiny. That's right. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's less than 1% uh, compared with 9% in New Zealand. And, and plus, it's also quite skewed. You know, we always quote the statistic that there are fewer Papua New Guineans in Australia than Samoans. And that's just very odd because, you know, PNG is such a, a bigger country than Samoa. It's 40 times as big. Plus, it was Australia's colony, whereas, of course, Samoa was a New Zealand colony. So you'd expect there to be a lot more Papua New Guineans here than Samoans. But in fact, you know, what happens is that the Samoans go to New Zealand, become New Zealand citizens, and are then able to migrate to, to Australia. How have the Papua New Guineans been kept out? Yeah, they've been kept out, I guess, first under the white Australia policy, after the Second World War, whereas New Zealand turned to Samoa to expand its population and, and meet its labour force needs, uh, Australia turned to Europe because of our white Australia policy. 
Uh, and then, you know, when we dismantled the wide Australia policy, we moved towards a skill-based migration system and, and the Papua New Guineans just didn't have the skills to migrate. You're suggesting one of, one of the solutions here to boost permanent migration would be something like the quota system that New Zealand's had for years. That's exactly right. You know, it's, it's creating a specific window into the permanent migration system. And as you said, it's something New Zealand's done. You have a specific scheme for Samoa, and then you have a, a Pacific access quota, I think it's called, for a number of other uh, Pacific countries. And uh, yeah, it's like a lottery or, or a green card uh, scheme. And uh, from what we've seen, it seems to work well in, uh, in the case of, of New Zealand. You know, a lot of people have been recommending for a long time that Australia consider. And uh, as I mentioned, so far, the focus has been on temporary migration. But the breakthrough we've had is that in the uh, in this election campaign, a Labor's come out and they've said, yes, we'll continue and improve these temporary schemes. But we're also going to introduce uh, this Pacific window into our permanent migration uh, regime and, and introduce what they call the Pacific Engagement Visa. And they've put a number on it. They said 3,000 slots uh, per year. And these would be distributed, you know, on a, on a country by country basis. And you could really target those countries that are particularly uh, under, underrepresented. It's a, it's a real game changer. I mean, of course, we have to see who's going to win the election. But I think once now this idea is out there, it could be considered by both sides. And it is a game changer because 3,000 might not sound like a lot, but the difference is between this and the temporary schemes. You know, the temporary schemes, people do their job, then they go home. Whereas here, you know, they can stay and they can bring their family and their, their families will, will expand. I mean, some will go home, but many will stay. And, and over time, I think this scheme will really uh, come to dwarf the, uh, the temporary schemes uh, that we've got and really help the Pacific diaspora expand. Just to elaborate for us on why having a bigger diaspora is going to help, well, bring Australia to understand the region more. Yeah, I think there are benefits both for Australia and for the Pacific. For Australia, I think it's just the comparison with New Zealand. A lot of people comment that New Zealand is sort of more readily accepted as part of the Pacific family, has more of a Pacific feel uh, to it. And we'd have the same benefit. It would no longer just be, well, the Pacific is, is over there. It would be the, the Pacific is here. Uh, so I, I think that's it's only natural that with a, a, a larger diaspora, you know, we would be a more a natural member, a more authentic member of the, of the Pacific family. In, in terms of the Pacific, uh, I mean, I know a lot of people worry about brain drain. Uh, one of the good things about this lottery is it's not skewed, you know, to the more, more skilled individuals. You don't get any particular benefit from being highly skilled. Everyone's got to go into this lottery. Uh, and then the other thing is the basic requirements. You know, you've got to pass an English language test. You know, you might have to have finished high school. That, 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 that then gives an incentive for people to get those skills. And then more broadly, what we've seen is that that diaspora, you know, doesn't lose touch with the country from which it's come. They, they stay quite engaged. They, they send back remittances. Uh, so they still contribute to the economy. Uh, but they also, you know, they help set up a migration pathway. You know, once you have some people in the country, it makes it easier for others to follow in their footsteps. And so over time, you wouldn't need to have as much of a reliance on these temporary schemes. Uh, we've seen from other countries that, you know, once they're well represented in Australia, we, we just get a, a steady flow. Yeah, so I think this is a, a scheme that would be of, of benefit both to Australia, uh, but also to the Pacific countries. And in fact, we know from the New Zealand experience that this visa is incredibly popular. And that for every uh, one applicant who succeeds, 16 apply, 16 enter into the lottery for the chance of getting a visa.
Stray dogs in Rarotonga are being rounded up and shot by police. This is because of dozens of complaints regarding attacks on people and livestock. The Cook Islands police say they are struggling to manage the growing dog population with free-roaming unregistered dogs becoming a menace to locals and tourists. The SPCA in Rarotonga is against the use of firearms but are too under-resourced to provide a more humane alternative. Elisha Foon reports. With over 2,000 dogs wandering the island, Rarotonga has a dog problem. In just the last two months, police have had 23 complaints, including from six people who were bitten by roaming dogs. Cook Island Senior Sergeant Napuau says some are household pets, others are wild or have been abandoned. Some of them are biting people, some are just rushing after people. It has been an issue in the past, but uh, I, I think everybody just left it like that for a while until all these complaints start coming in and everybody is now getting their acts together. There's meant to be a two-dog limit per household, but it's really enforced. Police also have authority under the current law to destroy dogs by using a firearm. Uh, when there is an offence, then the, the police have to put down the dogs. Last year, a dog control committee was formed made up of the SPCA, Tourism Corporation, the Ministry of Agriculture and Police. But SPCA Welfare Officer Mata Noroa says they're not all on the same page. We definitely don't agree with what the way the police are sort of handling the situation. And we have voiced our concerns to the police and the wider community. But yeah, it, it is very hard for us because we don't have the sort of, I suppose, the resources and that to sort of step in um, and sort of take on, you know, all the dogs that are out there, whether they're stray or, or wandering. He says they're not moving fast enough. If we had the resources, if the law sort of was in our favour as well, you know, we would be going out there picking up any sort of dogs that, you know, were a nuisance on the roads, the wandering and the stray, and um, we would care for them as best we can. The main thing for now, you know, is trying to get these dogs neutered and desexed. There's only, what, 15,000 or so people here on Rarotong. Um, if we don't get the desexing controlled, in like 10 years' time, there's going to be more dogs and people on this island. Tourism Corporation Acting Chief Executive Carla Eagleton says aggressive dogs are impacting visitor experiences on the island. She says 10 years ago there was a very successful animal program for desexing, but it stopped because there wasn't enough long-term funding. We're looking to uh, do everything that we can to mitigate and manage um, wandering dogs. The dog management program in the Cook Islands or on Rarotonga has had its stumbling blocks. We identify and highlight that there are different ways to approach this. The great thing is is that we've all agreed to sit down together and work it out and it's the only way that we're going to be able to move forward on this. The SPCA says a law change is necessary to force owners to take more responsibility of their pets to prevent puppies and want police to stop using guns on dogs. Trying to I suppose align it to what New Zealand and Australia have you know um as far as pretty much it's not the animal's fault. So, you know, if, if, if say, there's a, a dog attack or something like that, you know, we need to make the, the owners more accountable for it, you know, giving them really hefty fines and sort of making them responsible. Because at the moment, it's, it's sort of a grey area. So, you know, people aren't being sort of punished. A desexing program starts from May to August this year, which is expected to desex 250 dogs.
That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Looking for that next time more. 